Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z, the ultimate guide for real estate investors. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. We cover everything you need to know from finding and analyzing properties to financing and managing your investments. Tune in every week for experts' insights and tips so you can make your commercial real estate dreams come true. And in today's episode, we continue our conversation with Bob Knackle, head of New York Private Capital Group for JLL. We are covering the top lessons learned from lawsuits and how to avoid potential litigation in the future. Where does he think New York City's tenant laws are going? And also, what are some of the best practices for hiring when it comes to growing a company? Here we go. With regards to lawsuits, everybody has been sued, you know, if they've been on the game for a while, maybe with potentially one of your clients, what has been the maybe top three lessons learned from lawsuits that you have seen out there and how can we avoid potential litigation in the future? Yeah. Number one advice relative to litigation, don't get into litigation. (laughs) nobody really wins except the lawyers. And I'm sorry to say that for my lawyer friends out there, I'm not trying to take business away from you, but I think (laughs) uh, even even lawyers will admit that in litigation, nobody really wins. So uh, avoid it. It would be my number one uh, lesson to to learn from that. Number two, I think you you avoid litigation uh, the easiest with full disclosure. You know, the brokerage law in New York requires that the broker convey to a buyer uh, what they know or what they should have known. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, what they should have known. So you can't say, well, I didn't realize that there was no, uh, that there was a hole in the roof, even though all the apartments on the top floor are flooded every time it rains. Just because you didn't know that, you should have known that. You know, was there a a fire in the building two years ago? Was there some condition that you either knew or should have known? You have to convey that to the the parties. Also, uh, if your dual representation is a big thing in New York, if you're representing a buyer and a seller, fortunately, we don't represent buyers. But for those brokers that represent buyers and sellers, who are you getting paid by? If you're getting paid by someone, let the other party know it. Yeah. Um, so I think you you eliminate so many potential issues uh, relative to litigation by just being an open book, be transparent, communicate, over communicate. And that's something generally that's good in real estate is to over communicate rather than under communicate. But I think just having a lot of transparency avoids a lot of potential problems. I am in California and California is very similar to New York with regards to tenants. What do you see the future is for multifamily in both states? If you well, have any insights I, there. I'm familiar with, with New York. Um, I'm not familiar with, I, with anywhere else. I don't uh, work anywhere else. So I apologize for your, your viewers. <laughs> I'm being very myopic on my New York perspective. Uh, but I can tell you that, you know, we've had our rent regulation system uh, in place since 1984. And it seems like over the years, the system has gone further and further against property owners. There are a tremendous number of rules and regulations that have to be followed 
your rent increases are capped. There's very draconian change to rent regulation in June of 2019 that has essentially created an inability to extract the upside potential that's built into rent regulated units, <laughs> uh, which is problematic. But it seems like looking at it again from from 30,000 feet, it seems like many other states are starting to adopt these types of, of rules. It's becoming more commonplace. And at the same time, I, I think that a lot of the politicians that are endorsing these types of policies are missing the boat on what's really important when it comes to housing and providing uh, reasonably priced housing, affordable housing for folks. I think that the solution to all housing problems come on the supply side. If there's enough supply, rents will be affordable for people. Look no further than the pandemic that we just had in 2020, 2021. We saw vacancies increase very dramatically as people moved out of the city. That increased the number of available apartments, essentially an increase in supply. And rents dropped by 30%. Yep. 30%. So I tell all politicians, there are a number of things that you can do to increase the supply very easily. I won't get into the minutia of it here, sure. but five or six things that you could easily do to increase the supply of apartments. And if we have more apartments, those apartments will be more affordable for people. And yet every piece of legislation that has either been implemented in the last five years or ignored in the last five years has done nothing but exerted upward pressure on rents in New York. And because of that, if uh, if somebody who rents an apartment in New York and feels you're paying too much is listening to this show, uh, just turn around and blame your local politician because it really <laughs> is their fault. Uh, every politician says they want rents to be affordable for people. They don't want people to have to pay too much, but yet everything they do has just the opposite effect. It is very sad. In San Francisco, we need to use union people to build things here. And it's extremely expensive. Not only that, the process of getting things approved, there is a project, a big project here that has been in the works for 20 years, two decades. People may have been dead already that wanted to complete that project, right? Which is exactly in line with what you're saying. I want to change the topics a bit to one last topic that you mentioned that, of course, we don't accomplish things on our own. We have incredible people around us. What are some of the best hiring practices or what do you look for, you know, not only from the brokers that work with you, the agents that work with you, but also from the rest of the team that supports you? Well, that that's a great question. And, you know, over the years, uh, back in the MK days, we probably hired, you know, a, a thousand people. People have come and gone. And I, I think, you know, the the quality that we look at, we look at several things in people. And real estate is a very competitive business and it's also very team oriented. So we used to um, enjoy talking to people that uh, played team sports growing up mm. and excelled at team sports. Uh, we also uh, like to talk to people who exhibited excellence in some type of competitive area, whether it was captain of the debating team or uh, president of the school newspaper or uh, something that was a, uh, a competition where they excelled. 
And those were, were good things to look at. Secondly, we looked for people who didn't necessarily have the best grades in the world or the best uh, education, but were uh, very, very motivated. You know, we used to joke around that uh, we would only hire PhDs. And those were, were folks who were poor, hungry, and driven uh, because they were going to work really hard. It's also that, that part of that being, being hungry and driven is passion for the business. We yeah. look for people who really had passion for real estate, not that they just thought they could make a lot of money, but, you know, did they, did the real, real estate really resonate with them? Uh, that was a big part of, of what we thought led to success in the business, because no matter how good you are, you're still going to have tough and challenging times. But what enables you to get through that challenging time is that you really love the business. Uh, and so we looked for that passion. And then probably the most important of all of them, uh, we told our HR people all the time, interview somebody, they could look great on paper. They were captain of the lacrosse team or the, the water polo team, or they, you know, they were the valedictorian of their, their college. Everything looked great. But if after talking to them for a half hour, you didn't feel like, hey, I'd love to go have a beer with this person, or I really could yeah. sit down and have lunch with this person. If you didn't have that that connection, uh, we couldn't offer them a job. And that was because real estate is very, very much a people business. It, we're dealing with people all day long. People have to know you you have capability. Uh, we always said you didn't have to be the, the most brilliant real estate mind in the world. You, the aptitude scale in real estate from zero to 10, with 10 being a brilliant person who knows everything and can calculate internal rates of return in their head, uh, you didn't have to be a 10. You couldn't be a three or a four, but if you were a solid seven or an eight and people really, really liked you, you had good people skills, that you would get hired over people who maybe had a higher real estate aptitude than you, but weren't that personable. So personal skills, uh, people skills, likability, uh, those are things that really resonated with us. And that that was a very good hiring practice to make sure that we hired only people who uh, we felt would uh, we'd like to hang out with, to spend time with. Thank you so much. You shared so many great nuggets there. Is there anything else, maybe let's say within real estate investing uh, mindset that you think is important for our audience to know? No, I think it's important, just like a, a broker should specialize and know one thing really, really well. I think investors should do the same. Pick an area, a town, a city, a region, a type of property, a type of transaction, a type of something where you can know that particular thing better than, than others. And I think that that ability gives you a competitive advantage. Uh, also, I'd be good to brokers just because... Yeah. I think that um, folks who do what they say, you know, there's an expression, uh, mean what you say and say what you mean. Uh, don't lie to brokers. Don't mislead us. Just treat us, uh, treat us with respect. And, uh, you know, that, that's a two-way street. You know, take the time to understand what you do. Focus on a, a certain niche of the business. Uh, be good to the brokerage community, be good to your lawyers, uh, be someone who is honest and straightforward, transparent. You know, those things all go a long way towards creating bonds. You know, I think there's plenty of opportunity out there. It's just a matter of of finding the right ones. Yeah, it's a small world. So, you know, you better, better behave. <laughs> 
Uh, Bob, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for making the time. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, Stephanie, everybody can can email me at bob.nackle at jll.com. That's bob.knackal at jll.com. And I'd be happy to uh, interact with you. And you could always find me on social media, on Twitter, uh, also on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. I think wherever folks are on social media, I think I am. So happy to uh, interact with you in that way as well. And please share your Twitter handle because you have a lot of great nuggets there. I, I think it's uh, Bob Knackle. I think it's at Bob Knackle. I think that's it. Well, we'll put it under show notes. Make sure to please follow Bob. He has great insights. Bob, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Stephanie, it's been great being with you today and I wish everybody out there the best of luck. If you are in the Bay Area, we are going to be hosting Chief Economist of Fannie Mae, Dr. Doug Duncan, on June 8th for his economic forecast. I'm going to put the link under show notes and I really look forward to seeing you guys there and I will see you next time.